Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon. Welcome to Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with and the stories and the people attached to that time in our lives. Today, my guest is John Sebastian. John's had a long and distinguished career as a singer, songwriter, and musician. As the leader of the folk rock band The Love and Spoonful, he wrote and co-wrote a string of top 10 hits in the mid-1960s that included the chart toppers Do You Believe in Magic, Daydream, and Summer in the City. And in 1976, he returned to number one on the charts as a solo artist with Welcome Back. As an instrumentalist primarily playing harmonica, he's accompanied such artists as Judy Collins, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, The Doors, Bob Dylan, The Everly Brothers, Art Garfunkel, Dolly Parton, Peter, Paul, and Mary, John Prine, Bonnie Raitt. Ugh, what a list. Yeah, man. (laughs) And he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the year 2000 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2008. Well, all I can say is I'm pleased and thrilled to welcome and introduce John Sebastian. Hi, John. Well, Chris, it's great to see you again. I think we've had a friendship that spanned a long time, but there's been a long blank in the middle. Yeah, right. <laughs> a long intermission, yeah. as it were. Now, I generally like to start the show because provenance or where we're from is so important in terms of uh, the food that we talk about with, uh, with cooking by heart. Uh, tell me a little bit about it, your parents. Well, uh, my dad is uh, an Italian-American born in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and my mom uh, is uh, a woman from Dayton, Ohio, Mm. and they fall in love in New York City. She's in the lady. Okay, well, uh, just by hanging out with cool people, I guess. Uh, they were both in that sort of g- g- vaguely entertainment biz slash Greenwich Village world. Right. Uh, eventually, my mom would be the person that you talk to when you call Carnegie Hall. At other times, the person you would talk to when you call Clarion Concerts. Mm. Was, she and, a, was she a booker? Well, no, my mom really, her, she was a terrific writer and wrote funny for radio for a very long time. Mm. Uh, She uh, was drafted out of Dayton eventually by NBC, but it was steps where first she went to Cincinnati and did a show and then she came to New York and was uh, both a writer and a, a sort of a side performer. She'd fill in wherever things were needed, including the singer. If the oh, singer really? didn't show up, she could she could fill in the singer. Right. So that was uh, you know she was a, a, a very artistic. You know, it's like it's you know. Remember, this all started mm. when she was sixteen. So this is uh, for your modern audience it's kind of the tina mm-hmm. fey story <laughs> well not not a bad uh, antecedent you know so, uh, as it were exactly, exactly. yeah and, and your your pop your dad and dad uh, uh was a classical harmonica virtuoso uh which he always said boy that's three strikes isn't it <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, and uh, but uh, indeed, uh, he was taking the instrument to new heights and briefly to try to explain how my life would would start to uh, shape up. Um, he began to find that the United States simply had limited uh, use for classical harmonica. Right, right. Uh, whereas, you see, because at that time, you know, in the 40s and 50s, uh, uh, it was really, the harmonica was the harmonicats. And yes, right. Johnny Paleo biting the guy's ankle and, and <laughs> you know, this uh, whole, you know, uh, the, that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And it was very hard for, you know, people to think of that instrument as anything but the little thing that you knock off the, you know, yeah, the, the dirt out of when you take it out of your pocket. And right. So anyway, uh, meanwhile, in, in Europe, dad was being called the Paganini of the harmonica. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, he's who yeah. wrote? Who wrote? What? What uh, classical composers wrote for harmonica players? Well, I think uh, probably the most visible uh, for me is Villa Lobos. Uh, ah. Villa Lobos uh, was yep. in New York, and I actually got to go to uh, his house. Oh, that's a story in itself. Please, uh, so indulge. Okay, so I'm like a. What am I, a 12-year-old aspiring guitar player? By that, I mean, I have found four solid chords at this point. <laughs> so uh, I am listening to uh, Dad and and Mr. Villalobos exchanging uh, conversation about the well, what the, the possibilities and the limitation of the 64 owner chromatic. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're doing this. And uh, uh, Mr. Villalobos goes out of the room. And that we can tell that he's talking to his lady. And uh, dad points to the desk and says, open the top drawer. And <laughs> me to open the top right. drawer of his desk. <laughs> right, breaking and entering your first time in Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Dad is watching the, this kitchen entrance that's going to bring him back into the room. <laughs> right. He's the lookout. Okay. He's the so lookout. I, huh? I, right. <laughs> so I, I open the drawer. It is solid. I would le later learn Cuban cigars front to back, up to the top. The entire drawer. Yeah, which I then close. Mm -hmm. Dad checks the kitchen again and goes, <laughs> well, go ahead, look. <laughs> and, of course, it's another drawer full of another size of Cuban cigars. cigars. <laughs> and, in fact, when I get to the third drawer, it also is full of these probably, you know, for cigar smokers, wonderful yes, Cuban well, cigars. Of course, of course. Now so, these were not these were not in a these were not humidored. Exactly. In any way. Yeah, no, they're just they're sitting not. there. They're right. Sitting there. They're out. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was my little first introduction. And then it's about an hour later, they're working on a thing and the phone rings. 
And Villalobos, oh my God, you know, and he, he gets on the phone and he goes, what do you mean? Of course it can be played, Andre. Listen, he pulls a guitar out from under the bed, perches the telephone in front, and rips off this, this uh, classical uh, passeggiata. It's just a, it's just a, uh, it's a difficult run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he does the run. He puts the guitar back down. He goes back to the phone. He says, Andre, never tell me that my music can't be played on the instrument. Slams the phone down. And I'm looking at Dad going, Andre Segovia? <laughs> yeah, Andre Segovia. That's who that was. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, what a wonderful story. How extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. So let's get back to, let's get back to your house. Okay, so... As, as you're growing up, now, yes. now, um, mom, was mom a cook? Dad a cook? So now here's what was going on. My dad comes from the Italian tradition. He's a wonderful cook. He's been in his mother's kitchen uh, since birth and, right. and uh, has also lived in Italy already for several years as a student, uh, come back and forth. Uh, and uh, even developed an interest in uh, Chinese cooking um, mm. because an opportunity came up to go to China. And he became friends with Chamber Huang, who's the foremost instrumentalist uh, uh, at that time in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, so did he actually cook at home in oh, these yes. different cuisines? And, and, and what was happening was that mom, who had come from probably the, you know, the dreariest right. uh, uh, jello salad kind yep. of date meat, in Ohio world. Meat and, meat and potatoes, yeah. Jumped on this. She was, uh, uh, she had found out how to make a decent spaghetti sauce from grandmom. Mm -hmm. uh, she, uh, she was on it. That's your so, dad's mom? That she learned That's it from my dad's mom. Yeah, uh, so she 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 learned the true Italian way. Uh, very much, very of much make, of making what they call gravy rather than that's it's, that's a southern Italianism. Yeah, that's not not oh. the not my not sorry the, uh, the Abruzzese. Ah, uh, sorry to insult. Sorry to insult. You. It's, no, it's not insulting. It's <laughs> it's know. regional. That's all. Yes, yeah, I know. It's regional. I, I enjoy yeah. every bit of that stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, uh, so what was be what was happening in my fairly early childhood was people were coming over to eat my father's food every weekend, mm -hmm. and you know, one weekend it'd be somebody like Max and Sonia Liebman. Now that oh. may not be a familiar name to your uh, younger uh, audience, but if you ever saw a replay of your show of shows, oh boy, it would be, it says, and now your show of shows mm -hmm. presented by Max Liebman. That's well, Max right. Liebman would show up every weekend to eat my dad's food with his wife, Sonia, and they would sit there and now remember, I'm I'm young and I don't know a lot of these references. Mm -hmm. And 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 he's going, Melvin is driving me out of my mind <laughs> last week. 
Sid held him out of the window. We're on the sixth floor. <laughs> now, it's just the kind of anarchy that you would expect from it, that exactly. show. I grew um, I, up watching that show, and that show was anarchy. It, it was, was crazy, wild, insane, live, live oh, television. And those fearless uh, second bananas, they yeah. were all so ready to just go with Caesar. Carl, was, Carl Reiner, Imogene Coca, Howard Morris, that was the troop. Howard Morris was yeah. the little, yeah. little, little sort of <laughs> recently right. looking Howard Morris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and those were those shows were. I mean, I can still watch them because I remember when I was a kid sitting in the living room. Yeah, uh, yeah. When we had a TV, we had a TV fairly late in in the world. I lived in West Virginia, so there wasn't a great TV station there. But when ultimately when we had it. I would sit yeah. there and my parents yeah. would look at me like I was crazy because they couldn't understand why I was so completely beside myself uh, through all of the routines, the, the yeah. things that they would do, which were so extraordinary, speaking in foreign languages uh, that weren't foreign languages. That were pigeon <laughs> oh, foreign yeah, languages. his talent at faking foreign languages was... was Oh. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and, and the and the satires of movies, the From Here to Eternity satire. Uh, they did. Uh, uh, they were the shows were brilliant, and the writers on that show. When you think about it, when you think about it now, yes, Larry Gelbart, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, yeah, um, yeah, Neil Simon was also. Oh, he was a junior writer on that show. Ah. Ah. So 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 let's we'll return to Max Lieben. So Max Lieben's at your house eating dinner and telling stories about the show. And telling shows. stories, yes. And this kind of thing used to happen uh, all the time. You know, one week we'd have some uh, really glamorous opera singing lady, mm -hmm. uh, and then the next week we'd have like a very serious classical guitarist who just also was gorgeous. Mm. Uh, and, and it, it was, it, it was rolling all the time. I mean, that was the thing was I, I kind of came out of a, uh, a, 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 an American culture where the conversation was always going. And mm -hmm. I remember, and mom as a comedy writer would have these guys over usually to punch up scripts, but incidentally to eat dinner. Right. And the thing was that I had learned that like when certain of these guys showed up, you, you were just going to have, you were just going to hurt all evening from laughing. <laughs> That's right. You could not stop. It yes. was hard to eat and all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the, 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 the climate of uh, these, these super fast. Right. Comedic yeah. Uh, writers. Yeah. That's exactly. Exactly. And, and, uh, do you remember any of the specific meals, the things oh, sure. that were favorites of yours? Sure. No, and some of them were the most simple stuff, like, uh, like you know, knowing how to put together a carbonara when it was hard to do it with anything but bacon, except if you lived where we lived. Right. You go around the corner. corner. And there and were Italian. hog yeah. jowl, put it in there. Guanciale, guanciale, yes. Guanciale, that's right. Yeah, right. we talked uh, about this. We talked about guanciale with uh, uh, 
Michael Tucker on the show. Mike, uh, yeah, yeah, Mike is a. They have a home in Italy, and he talks a lot about uh, going to the butcher for fresh guanciale. Oh my God! Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so there was a constant kind of revolving door of guests who were yes. coming and going, and uh, I, I was also watching Dad cook. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you help? Uh, not much. Remember, I'm uh, maybe I'm eight. Mm-hmm. But there were uh, there were like musicians that. who came as guests as well. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. We we used to have a cellist who would come over, and he had an enormous number of <laughs> little. <laughs> <laughs> little nervous ticks, and uh, I one time when I had Dad by himself, I said, "You know," he said, "Look, son, what you're seeing here is is a man who's had everything bad that could ever happen to anybody except being killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes, he comes, you know, pretty much uh, straight from the from the detention camps." Uh, he lost all of his family. And he said, but, you know, when he plays, he's the guy who brings the pain. Mm -hmm. They can't replace him. Yeah. That's when you you need that passage from the cello. Mm -hmm. There it is. So I was, you know, I was meeting these, some of them being really odd characters, other, you know, really wonderfully, you know, like Josh White, so wonderful, conversational, funny man, uh, said just, you know, learned so much from who was pretty much my first black family was, was Josh. And at that time, Donnie, who is now called Josh White Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad and, and Josh White were playing Cafe Society, mm. which was a, a small downtown venue right. that really was the first integrated everything type of club. Oh, really? Yes, Uh and, uh, and when you say downtown, do you mean the village or do you mean yes, further downtown? Yes, because yeah. this first uh, cafe society was sort of near Sheraton Square. And as time went on, there became a second cafe society in, in sort of, I guess it was in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, that was a very uh, friendly place for uh, lots of uh, interaction, and so right. I was privileged to be in the green room, and little Donnie and I would be playing while Dad and Josh are out there entertaining the folks, knocking them, knocking them out. Yeah, pretty great, pretty oh, great. Wow. Now, so so your father uh, uh, had a vocabulary other than classical. He he knew how to play. Uh, well, no, I couldn't say that he was like he wasn't by any means attempting or being a blues uh, harmonica player at right. all. He appreciated it uh, right, right. once uh, one in our uh, house here in, in uh, Woodstock. I happened to get my dad and Paul Butterfield in oh. the same room. Wow! And wonderful. Butter was so wonderfully. Uh, self-deprecatory and just said, oh, Mr. Sebastian, you know, 
it's such a pleasure to hear you do what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just such a miracle. And Dad says, "But, but Paul, uh, you know, uh, I, I love what you do." And Paul says, "But Mr. Sebastian, all, all I really do is play one note." <laughs> and Dad says, "Yeah, but you play it so well." <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so th- there wasn't a salon at your house, but there was a kind of constant sort of inflow and outflow of musicians. It's a, yeah, it's a good description because that really, that really was at least once a week at dinner happening. Yeah, for for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the weeknights were uh, because both of your parents. Now your mom was working by then. Was she working in television? Or, she, or so just radio? It's mostly radio, but mom really had had uh, her main success in radio, and it had taken her to NBC in New York. Uh, but all this time, her dearest friend was Vivian Vance. Mm. Uh, and both of them were uh, breaking into, at that time, it was like summer stock. Uh, I became a kind of a of a of a trunk baby for for a while no, I had born some, in a trunk right i had some wonderful experiences <laughs> really? along those lines oh, oh. yeah oh, with my great. aunt viv for those of you who might not know vivian vance was on the i love lucy show for its entirety as ethel mertz that's the right downstairs neighbor best friend yeah. yes exactly and then in her later life uh she would become a a, a perfect talk show uh a guest because she was so funny uh, Mm -hmm. just by her own self around the dinner table the talk was uh very eclectic there was all kinds of stuff sort of flying around while you guys were eating yes with these guests yeah absolutely and you really couldn't guess where the conversation would go uh, and again, these are really good conversationalists. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they can keep this thing going, you know. Right. Now, now there was an item that I saw about you in which it said when you were young that you were a kind of guide and valet to Lightning Hopkins. Yes, indeed. Well, this this again, uh, all of this comes out of this access that I had because of my parents. Right. right. This is the unpayable debt. And, uh, and uh, in this particular case, um, my dad uh, had been asked to perform on a program called Robert Herridge presents, which was pre public television, but that kind of a flavor. Right. 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 And uh, it, was it a talk show, a variety show? It was uh, a, I guess you'd call it a variety show, but they do it with no set. Yeah. And it's just lighting. Yeah. Four or five guests in yeah, yeah. different parts of this. The studio. Room. Yeah. And uh, the way it was, uh, the guests were a, a Welsh actor who I'm not coming up with his name, uh, my father, and Lightning Hopkins, <laughs> and a young, barefoot, 17-year-old Joan Bias. Oh, wow. 
And so in those days, television cameras didn't move. Right. And so I realized that I had this opportunity. If I could snug down in front of this camera, I could essentially see the television see the show in color is basically what I could do. Right. Right. And, and so I just froze underneath that camera. And when lightning Hopkins came on, I was gobsmacked. Mm -hmm. Now I'd heard one record, which I had already begun to cherish. And so I knew a little bit of the material, but and not only was he just so great, his his whole presentation, even being a little out of sorts, playing for all these white people all mm-hmm. of a sudden, uh, he he just took command and was uh, uh, to to me uh, the the greatest single performer I'd ever seen was my father, mm-hmm. and and now here was another guy with a completely other way of doing it. Right. And he was having the same effect. Right. And who dropped into the zone. Who <laughs> That's just, right. Who just plunked down in wherever he was. He, beca- he became. You've got it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and towards the end of the program, of course, then, you know, Joan. Com- and the contrast was wonderful. I mean, this, this was really a good, uh, uh, well-composed show uh, yeah. as far as the people went. Because that, you know, life <laughs> slamming along. And then here comes Joan, uh, you know, uh, the young maid all in the garden. You mm-hmm. know, and all of yeah, those yeah, kind yeah. of things that yeah. I can't sing four octaves up. Uh, that I mean, and her voice was liquid, so beautiful, yep. unbelievable, and yeah. she's so ethereal, cool. yeah, yeah, and she never does any of the song singer devices. She doesn't do any of it. She yep. just looks down at that little O sixteen Martin and, and plays. Yep, and lets the music and the and the sound and the words uh, communicate. Yeah, uh, there, you know, in that voice. To me, I'm I'm realizing a whole other body of folk music through her. So then, the next thing that happens is the camera goes back to Lightning, and Lightning plays some kind of shuffling thing, and it's got a chorus about uh, "Ain't it crazy? Mm-mm-mm. Ain't it crazy?" Ain't it crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep on rubbing at that billing phone? <laughs> and Joan starts cracking up. <laughs> and, and it's on television. I mean, you can see this yeah, on yeah, yeah. kinescope live. And, and to me, I was like, this guy can flip <laughs> this coolest of women right you know it was just so wonderful right uh and uh okay so the show ends uh everybody's standing around uh 
dad has stuff to talk to Lightning because he's a pal of Sonny Terry's because he and Sonny Terry often do uh, harmonica symposium, you know, with a classical guy and a, 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 a harmonicats guy and yeah, yeah. Sonny Terry. By the way, for our audience, of those of you who don't know who Lightning Hopkins, Sonny Terry, Google them because these are some of the great seminal blues artists of of any a, a, century anywhere ever ro- and who created the genre of music that still is alive and and vibrant that's right that's right oh how wonderful really great so yeah. anyway you and you enlightenment uh we're standing around and i am looking at this guitar case that's at lightning's feet and i'm i'm trying to figure out now do you you think he'd smack me in the head or do you think he'd just turn around and i could tell him a thing well i decided to take a chance i pick the guitar up and lightning turns around and looks at me and i say mr hopkins i know the subway system dead cold i can get you down to where you're going to be playing tonight it's only four blocks from my house. If you don't have a place, just let me know. Huh. Now, I'm not the first silly little white boy yeah. to uh, want to try to attach himself to Lightning this yeah. way. How old but are Lightning, you? 16. Uh-huh. But Lightning has learned to take full advantage of these opportunities from yeah. uh, these kids who... Uh, uh, idolize him mm-hmm. so he he absolutely let me carry that instrument we go down to the village gate uh and uh, uh i think that night i kind of left him there but in a, a, as the evenings progressed he began to realize how close i lived and a couple of other things and and i became kind of like a a lead boy for a non-blind person. Mm-hmm. It was very helpful, I think, to be able to deal with some of the club owners on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it also let him be the African king mm. that he was. Yeah, yeah. Did he ever eat at your house? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't recall... Uh, having it be a, a, you know, like a Sunday dinner kind of right. a thing. Right. Uh, but uh, I know we often came and grabbed food out of the fridge and it lightened and would always remark about, where'd you get this food? <laughs> I'd say, that's mom and dad. Right, right. So, so we're we're looking at a, a childhood that, uh, on the one hand, was exposed to so many different kinds of, of varieties of not only food but genres of music, uh, uh, artistic temperaments, different kinds of uh, you know what a what a world. And then add to that the fact that you also spent a lot of time when you were a kid in Italy, right? That's right. That's and right. how did that come about? Well, this was uh, a, a, as a result of dad's acceptance in Europe in general mm-hmm. and uh, his very smart assessment of his situation, which was, 
in those days, I would preface this by saying, when you went on tour, you didn't just jump on a plane, go to Cleveland, and then come back. Yeah, You'd be gone for two, three months in a station wagon. And if you were a classical musician, uh, it could be an old station wagon. Yes, right. Uh, actually, Dad had a dependable one. Mm -hmm. but, uh, Did but, he play uh, community concerts? So that sort of thing. Oh yes, yes. Because yes, I remember indeed. that from when I was a kid, going to the high school, the local high school, and having the Vienna Boys Choir and and uh, uh, classical yeah. pianists. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yes. And uh, but uh, what began to happen? Well, what Dad decided was that when he did this trip to Europe for the summer, he'd take us with him mm. and park us somewhere. And thank God for this terrific gay family, Jack Murphy uh, and, and uh, uh, Newell Jenkins. And they called dad at some point and said, well, so we're on this one side of Florence, you know, up on the hill. Mm -hmm. But we look across. Oh, we're living in Plutarch's house. And uh, <laughs> yeah. by the way, by the way. <laughs> Live with this, yeah. And across the uh, the valley, we see this little red tower, and we learn that it is uh, rentable, that it's not being lived in currently. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of five summers. As soon as school was over, we'd get on the boat and hit it. We'd go to Genoa and make a, a little stop off in Sorrento. And then the next day, we'd be in Fiesole outside of Florence. Yep. And this little red uh, castello. And uh, uh, that was my summers. And it was to be totally translated into Italian because we weren't living in like Monte Parioli and in Rome, where there's an enormous American population and nobody needs to learn Italian. Right. This was a totally single language, uh, <laughs> complete with a dialect and everything. Right. 50 years later, when I go back and talk to one of my old friends from then, she goes, you sound like you're from here. Huh. I go, well, what do you mean? She said, you said... Siciliani instead uh, of Siciliani. Uh, and that soft SH noise, mm -hmm. that's very Northern Italian. That's very Florence. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but uh, uh, our subject here is food, and no place else could I have ever managed to be exposed to such a variety of food. And it's all coming from a woman from the Po Valley, which if you watch uh, uh, any of the Bourdain stuff or or mm -hmm. the, the, the Tucci, the new Tucci right. show, uh, uh, they're all talking about, yeah, oh yeah, the Po Valley is, that's probably the mother of everything. There's things like the, the wind goes the right way so that you can hang the sausage up in the, in the attic and it'll dry the right way is all kinds of stuff that yeah, makes yeah. the Po Valley this wonderful place. Right. So I was being exposed to all these great dishes 
Uh, and, and uh, you know, once uh, every day or two, Rita, the cook, would come and she was very, very formal with my father and would say, so what do you think we should cook? And dad, having a very full uh, view of what's Italian food in general, mm-hmm. would very often have a pretty creative idea. So she had a, a very fulfilling summer uh, uh, during that time. I, I felt that there was, I mean, there was sweat involved, but, right. but the fact was, uh, you know, she'd laugh. She, he wants the ravioli nudi. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that I got him with that the last time. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing all that. I'm beginning to understand now. Yeah. And uh, and she would come back and go, Yeah, I got him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, now, yeah. Do, were he you likes, were you around the kitchen? I lived in the kitchen. Oh. Uh, because as as you know, uh in a a, a large uh a family in the general Mediterranean brought <laughs> a lot of other places too. Uh it, it, the kids uh live really with the the help, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. Uh that's that is where you are. And and it gives you access. I mean, what could have been better? Uh uh, you know, once a week. You take a walk up to Fiesole, takes about an hour and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we'd go to the second run movie house. Mm-hmm. Well, the second run movie house, it's all comedies with Toto and Sophia Lauren. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just the best. Yeah, I was yeah, seeing yeah. these, you know, the 50s. Be Italian movies, right? And you know they're just that, just a little spicy, uh, you know, how, uh, as they show in the in the Cinema Paradiso, you know, right? And it's that exact mood, you know. And there is a prostitute somewhere uh, uh, nearby to yeah. <laughs> yes. When you when you would do this, when you would take these trips up there, would you eat? I do remember that we would go for a, a, a semifreddo, like the soft gelato mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't really... Recreational food, yeah. Yes, I don't really remember sitting down at a restaurant while I was in Florence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all the time. You yeah. know, what, what was happening was another thing happening, too, which was this is post-war Italy in which jobs... Are are absolutely very difficult to find, right? And we start with the cook and a bambinaya, and this is pretty much in, in vaguely in the same family. And a, bamb- a bambinaya uh, is the bambinaya is uh, looking after primarily uh, looking after my brother. So it's but, kind of a kind of a nanny. Kind of a nanny, yes, yeah. but she supervises me too. I right. mean, I got to do what she says, and I right. know that. Right. But what was beginning to happen was that uh, Rita would come, and she's rounding her hands in her apron as she <laughs> talks, and she says, "Signora, you know, 
I do. I have a cousin who does the laundry. You you wouldn't believe it comes out springtime, fresh, so mm. beautiful. She irons the sheets, and Dad goes okay. Eventually, we have four people working for us because, uh, you know, just get everybody working. You know, you you see the situation and you go, you mean whatever it is, 50 bucks a week would be like a amazing thing. Exactly. To support an entire family. Yeah. And and at that time. Yeah, that's right. So so I, I was. I was having all the benefits and none of the difficulties uh, of post-war Italy, really. Mm-hmm. Other than other than the uh, ravioli nudi, uh, any other dishes that you remember from that time that were favorites? Oh, that- and, well, absolutely. And not all of them came from our house because by now, uh, the thing about the Villa Torrerosa is it's a little villa. And within the villa, there's, uh, there's a, a rich person there's mm-hmm. the guy that owns it. There's the uh, people that are renting up the hill. Kind of, they're the, the, the Americans' house. Right. And then there's a farmer and, and uh, his wife. And, uh, of course, they're the most interesting thing on the in the villa. So I would get up in the morning i'd go to the, to the the farmer and if it was a day when he did didn't really want to bother with me mm. he'd he'd give me uh the uh burrow and the cow and he had taught me how to go up the mountain with the burrow and the cow to a grassy place where they would happily spend the day and, yeah. yeah, and I would sometimes be on the back end too, right, to bring them back down. But uh, so I'm pretty tight with the farmers now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, with another farmer, I'm even I'm getting the illusion of driving water buffalo. Oh, that's where the mozzarella comes from. Right. The mozzarella right. del buffalo. Right. You got to have a buffalo to get that. <laughs> and uh and it there's a whole other Italian complex right down the hill which I still can participate in cuz it's an albergo. It's a it's a real hotel. Oh. And so that hotel they had a bigger farmer you know, a, a more elaborate, and those mm-hmm. that was the farmer that had the oxen. But I mean, I experienced my first pizza coming out of a a, a, a wood fired oven that was the wall. I mean, <laughs> it was the wall. Mm-hmm. And but right. the the woman who cooked that just had such knowledge of how to do it, and it's nothing. It's it's. Uh, it, it's it's dough and olive oil and salt and nothing mm-hmm. and it was delicious so oh. i don't know a little funny things oh, like would, that i i it would I, I i'm divine. transporting myself there at this very moment because uh my wife and i built a pizza oven in our backyard oh. Oh. last weekend we had oh. all nine of the grandchildren all of our kids our four kids and we made pizzas and we had roasted lamb because we had a belated Greek Easter uh, uh, dinner. 
or oh, actually man. late afternoon, but we made pizza in the pizza oven. I want to talk to this woman if she's still alive because I still haven't gotten the, you know, exactly where the coal should be and how to it, fire the oven properly. It interesting? It's yeah. an art. It's an art. It really is. So living in Italy in the summer was a revelation, in the, not only in the sense of, the, I mean, you had grown up with Italian food because your father cooked Italian food. Your mother had learned how to make Italian food. Was your grandmother around when you were a kid? Very much. Yeah? Uh, and, oh, yes. No, did my, she cook for you? This was a virtuoso. I haven't gotten to the second generation. Ah. Not, but that's where all of the food stuff comes from is Your Maria nona. Pugliese. Mm -hmm. See, my name would be Pugliese if dad hadn't decided that Giovanni Sebastian. Sebastiano, chromatic harmonica, that was enough punishment. <laughs> Not to add right. to Pugliese. Tell me about your grandmother um, and her Maria cooking. Pugliese was the wife of the president of the Sons Italy Bank, my grandfather, who was tremendously respected in the town. Mm-hmm. But it made it so that he couldn't even buy vegetables and and fruit from the Italian vendors. They, mm -hmm. they would give take it, to it yep. take it, take yep. it, take it. But this also created a situation where there was frequent need to be able to have a conversation away from the bank, and it could be with this glamorous food that Maria could cook and and with great variety again you know one week is some fantastic lamb that's been just pulverized and right minted to death yeah it's a couple of things like that that I, i'll never eat that again <laughs> hi if you're enjoying my conversation with john sebastian do join us for part two in which John reminisces about his musical adventures after The Love and Spoonful, his journey into tie-dyeing, his iconic appearance at the Woodstock Festival, and, of course, his current projects. So stay tuned, won't you?